Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor Podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Well, it's great to see all of you guys this morning. Uh, Before we get rolling, I just want to acknowledge... Oh, I'm going to call you Pastor. It's all right. Pastor Larry and Gell are in the house today. I love these guys. Um, this, this is an awesome couple. They're, they're down in Port Clive for the summer, but they live out in Arizona. And uh, for years and years, they were on Pastor Brian and Miss Liz's leadership team. So significant uh, longtime members of this church. I don't know if they're necessarily quote, quote members now, but you get what I'm saying. Just a very part of the, uh, of the story of this church. And so we're honored to have you guys with us today. It's good to see you. Uh, also, I'm going to ask uh, Brother Jerry. Brother Jerry, can you go ahead and come up here? You, you guys met uh, Brother Jerry Cates last week. He's from uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Norfolk, 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 however you get it there. Um, he's going to be joining me again today. I'm pretty pumped about what the Lord wants to do. I'm going to go ahead and maybe kind of let you know that uh, we're going to get rolling and we're going to see where it goes. So uh, this morning, I'm just going to share my heart. I got a few stories that I, I want to share, and I, and I believe we'll kind of extract some good points out of that. Uh, this will not be some quote-unquote teaching or preaching. Uh, we're just going to, like I said, get the ball rolling, and we'll see where we end up. Fair enough? So we'll have fun. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for today. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the plan and the purpose, God, that you have predestined for this church. God, we recognize that you did not plant this church here in this city, in this town, in this region, just to uh, take up space and breathe air. Father, that you put us here because you have an assignment for this church. You have an absolute calling that you put on this church. And Father, we're just asking today, God, that that calling, that that plan would become a little bit clearer today in our hearts. And so, Father, I'm just asking, God, for your people today. Would you encourage them? God, would you stir them? Would you challenge them? And Father, would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Holy Spirit, thank you for the anointing. Thank you that you said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And So God, right now, as your children, we choose to open up our ears and to listen to you. God, we choose to listen to you. God, we don't want to listen to ourselves. We don't want to listen to the media. We don't want to listen to the world. But God, we want to listen to the one true voice that, that literally guides us in life. So come, Holy Spirit. Spirit, have your way. If you say go left today, let us go left. If you say go right, let us go right. If you say pause, let us pause. If you want us to stop, let us stop. Uh, just lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, listen, today I want to start with something that, that Brother Jerry mentioned last week. I don't know if you remember, if you were here, he held up a book called The Circle Maker, and it's by Mark Batterson, a pretty awesome pastor that's in the D.C. area. And, uh, you know, basically the, the heartbeat or the gist of that book is really found in the, the subtitle of it. It's, it says this, that it's talking about praying circles around your biggest dreams and your greatest fears. So if you've never read the book, I would encourage you to read it, and I would encourage you to apply it to your life. It's a really good book, right? Amen. It's an excellent book. So, anyways, if you've ever read the book, in fact, has anybody ever read the book in here? Awesome. Good book. Rest of you, go read it. All right, here we go. 
fun. So, li- listen, I want to start off basically where, where Mark Batterson starts off in chapter 1. This is actually a, a true historical count that Mark just kind of pulled from history. If you know anything about Josephus, uh, the historian, uh, it's actually in his writings. And so this is not some, uh, some you know, made-up story. It is a, it's an actual historical account where God moved. And I want to share it with you today. That will kind of be our launching pad, and then we'll go from there. But... Batterson started with this. He said it was the first century B.C. and a devastating drought. That's key. A devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation. And the generation, that generation was the generation before Jesus. So before we move here, I want you to understand something, kind of get the magnitude and the significance of the moment. That, that here it is that this drought is basically threatening to destroy a generation. And once again, it's the generation before Jesus. So can you imagine that if the whole generation before Jesus was killed? Then what does that mean for Jesus? So we're talking about a significant moment in, in biblical and just basically the history of the world here, okay? So anyways, it says this. It says that the, the last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. We know that they're in the, what theologians call the, the uh, 400 silent years, okay? So it says miracles were just such a distant memory that they seemed like a false memory. And God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an eccentric sage, who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honi. And then it says, and even if people could no longer hear God, he believed God could still hear them. Can we get an amen on that? So once again, get the picture, extensive drought, a lot of folks are about to die, and as a last-ditch effort, the nation of Israel decides to call on the man of God, right? No pressure for that guy, right, at all. It says, when rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. During a drought, it's the only thought. That's so good. So Josephus actually says this, Batterson didn't, but Josephus says that, that Honey came out, thousands of people were around him, and, and he actually prayed, and the first time he prayed, guess what happened? Nothing. Batterson picks up what he did next after nothing happened, and it was this. He says, with a six-foot staff in his hand, he began to turn like a math compass. His circular movement was rhythmical and methodical, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. Says he never looked up as the crowd looked on. Says after what seemed like hours, but it had only been seconds, Honey stood inside the circle that he had drawn, and he dropped to his knees, raised his hands, and with the authority of the Elijah, he prayed this Bold prayer. He said this, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown your mercy upon your children. What audacity, right? What boldness, what faith. That's unbelievable. Can you imagine that? That God, I am not going to move unless you do something. And then it says, then it happened. As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. An audible gas swept across the thousands of people who had encircled Honey said every head toward heavenward as the first raindrops fell, but Honey's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop, but Honey was not satisfied with the sprinkle. Can I get an amen there? Let that be known today that Jesus, we are not satisfied with the sprinkle. Yes? Do you get what I mean by that? says, still kneeling within the circle, Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of celebration, and he prayed again. He said, not for such rain have I prayed, God, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. says, the sprinkle turned in such a torrential downpour that the people ran to the Temple Mount to escape flash floods. says, Honey stayed there, and he prayed inside of a circle. One more time, he redefined his bold request. He prayed this. He said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor... Blessing and graciousness. 
says, then like a well-proportioned sun, sun, sun shower on a hot and humid, get this, August afternoon. Love the convenience of God. says, it began to rain calmly, peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And the raindrops didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It had been difficult to believe the day before. Get this, it had been difficult to believe that God would do anything the day before the day. But the day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. I love that. It says, the prayer that saved a generation was deemed as one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. And the circle that he drew in the sand became a sacred symbol. From that day forward, not only did the legend Honi, the circle maker, begin, but the day stands forever as a testament, don't miss this, to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. It's the power of prayer, Amen. So today what I want to do, once again, use that as a launching pad. I just want to give you a few train of thoughts. That's it, okay? And then uh, Brother Jerry has some stuff basically that he feels like it's from the Lord. I think it matches with this perfectly, and uh, he'll share it, and we'll move from there, okay? So here's the first train of thought that I have. I've come to realize that sometimes in life we are involuntarily, don't miss that, involuntarily thrusted into, for lack of better words, a honey moment. Do you get what I mean by that? It's this, it's like figuratively and maybe even literally speaking, in a matter of seconds we go from being on cloud nine, enjoying life, to like that, being on our knees, crying out to God for a miracle. Why? Because we understand in, this, in these honey moments, it's this, is that God, unless you do something, guess what? Unless you intervene, unless you step in, unless you change something, the outcome is going to be absolutely devastating. See, I don't know if you've ever had a honey moment. I don't know when your honey moment was, but I will say one of mine and Jen's was this. And some of you guys have heard the story. Some of you haven't. So I'm going to share it today because I feel like I need to. Um, our, I, would say, I would say probably maybe our first legitimate honey moment would be this, is when we had our first child. And basically, for you guys that have heard the story, you know that, you know, anytime you're a, a you know, you're having your first kid, you're excited, you've been working on the nursery, you've been doing all those things, preparing for this little baby that comes home, and obviously you're scared to death because you don't have a clue uh, how to really be a parent. Thank God that there's a, a transfer of grace in that moment. Can I get an Amen. amen. And you don't, you don't kill the little fella. It's good. All right. So anyways, but, but so here we are, Jen and I, we're in the hospital and obviously, you know, Jen's in labor, but there's still this uh, excitement and joy. And literally at the blink of an eye, all of our excitement and all of our joy uh, went to just, just, just this unknowing situation uh, of just fear. And, and, you know, once again, if you've heard the story, basically our little girl came out, and when she came out, uh, she had the umbilical cord wrapped around, our ne- wrapped around her neck, and uh, she was gray and limp as a dish rag. And, and it was very obvious that all the nurses and the doc in the room were freaking out. And, uh, you know, here we are, then, then, you know, if you've ever been in that situation, they're not really communicating to you. They're not really telling you what's going on. You can just see it all on their faces, and you can see by the phone calls they're making really quick and people that are rushing in the room and all those things. And so our, our little girl uh, basically came out, and what happened was is because she was uh, so, so stressed out because from being choked is, is she released the meconium, and she sucked all that in. And the only thing that they told us in the, in the hospital room, Jen's sitting there, and, and you know, 
I'm, I'm whatever, standing beside her side, and, and uh, she's going, what's going on, what's happening, because they're not doing the whole slap her on the butt and make her cry thing, and, and uh, you, you know, and, she's, and I don't have an answer. And the only thing that they told us before they left the room is this, we need to let you know that there might be a chance that your daughter will uh, be retarded, there's a chance that she will never walk, there's a chance that she will do this, and there's a chance that she won't live. So imagine all that excitement. Boy, you're talking about popping a balloon. And the only thing I can tell you is in that moment, let me, let me maybe rewind, you know, so you understand this. As pastors, we are so used to, and Brian will tell you, and, and Larry will tell you, and Jerry will tell you, we're so used to walking in, uh, you know, hospital rooms and being that comforting presence that walks in. We're so used to being the ones that walk in the room and somehow speak order to everything that's going crazy. And so it's so different when, when you're on the receiving end of all of that. Right? Yes? Yes. It's so true. And so I'm sitting there, and, and the only thing I knew how to do is this, pray in the Spirit. And so they left, and thank God they left, and Jen and I began to pray in the Spirit and began to grab a hold of every promise that we knew from the Word of God that spoke to our situation that moment and began to declare it. All those things that we have told people to do, now it was our turn to really do it, right? And so, you know, I will say this, that uh, the first time we prayed, uh, it, didn't, it didn't rain, so to speak, But we didn't quit. We didn't give up. But I'm here to tell you this, and this was the great news, that in less than 48 hours, I walked into the NICU unit. And I remember I went over that sink, and I washed my hands up to my elbows. And I went to go turn, and and the nurse practitioner goes, are you Mr. Self? Yes, ma'am, that's me. She said, "Uh, I just saw your little girl's x-rays from yesterday, and I just saw them from today. I want you to know that's not, it doesn't even look like the same person. And for a medical staff person to say this is profound. She said, sir, I want you to know that is a miracle. I have never seen that before. So... I walk in, and I, and I go by my little girl's side. She's got every tube in her that you can, you know, conjure up. And I'm sitting there, and I still, um, you know, still hadn't, we still hadn't had the, the moment that you're really waiting for. There was no pull her out and let you hold her and all those things. And so I'm sitting there, and she's still all tubed up. And, and the nurse comes over and says, uh, hey, I want you to know, once again, I've only been doing this X amount of years, but I've never seen that. That's a miracle. Then the doctor comes rolling in. Now we're in the big stuff. And, and the doc comes in because they hate miracles. That maybe sounds strong to say they hate it. But you know what I'm saying? They, they, they don't readily admit them a lot of times, right? They, they kind of fight against them. And the reason is because their intellect gets in the way. And uh, so anyways, he came over and he just, said, uh, he just said, Sir, I want you to know, once again, same thing, X, Y, Z. You know what? That is a miracle. And I will say this. Once again, the point is, is that sometimes in life, a crisis comes to our doorstep. We don't go to it. It comes to us, and we find ourselves in that spot where you got to draw a circle, and you say, God, enough's enough. I'm not moving until you do something. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Second thing I want to say this, second train of thought, and this is going to be a little bit more lengthy, but I, I will say this before we get rolling. If you, if you pin me down and said, Quentin, what's your heart for this region? This is my heart for this region. Okay, and it is lengthy, but I, I really felt like the Lord said, share this. So I'm going to share it, and it's not totally in chronological order. Uh, if you want to study more about it, I encourage you to go do it. But, but here's the second train of thought. The first one is, is that we're thrusted into it. The second one is simply this, is, is that we, we begin to realize or we begin to see a, a situation or a circumstance, and, we, and, and that's going on really with someone else, okay? And, and we inwardly get fed up. Have you ever been there? 
where you just get like, like, like they're not fed up, but you're fed up. Yes? And so, and so it's like when, when you kind of get in that spot in your gut that you say enough is enough, and what happens in this one is we voluntarily or we willingly step out in faith and we willingly grab our staff and we re- willingly begin to draw a circle, not for ourselves, but once again, so we can intercede on the behalf of the other person. And this is where, once again, we find ourselves in the same mode of thought saying, God, I come to you with this issue, this God-sized problem. God, and, if, and guess what? I'm not going to stop praying until you do a miracle, right? It's kind of the same thing. But... I'm going to say this, and I could be wrong with this. Could be wrong with this. Could be. Could be. Um, That I think sometimes in this area where we voluntarily or willingly step into the circle, it's really not that we're so loving and that we're so spiritual. It's more so that God God, uh, pulls us, that there's a holy summons, that he pulls us into the circle because he's got assignment for us. And and he's the one that begins to put that God-sized burden in our hearts that doesn't drive us, but it leads us to our knees, and we begin to partner with God to believe God release something. Because the truth is, is God loves people. Right, We don't just sing that he's good and not believe that he's good. He loves people, and he wants to intervene. And the Bible's really clear that he looks for intercessors. And the Bible says in some points that he can't find any, and other points it says that he found some. And every time he finds some, guess what? Stuff happens, right? That, that it's so hard to believe that here's this God that can do anything, chooses to partner with you and I. Wow, right? So here's the example I want to give you here, okay? And this is really where God plants a burden in us and we respond. So this is another good old Christian history moment. Um, I want to take you basically to where, to, uh, to a northwest island off the mainland of Scotland, the mainland of Scotland. It's known as the Isle of Lewis. Or if you're Scottish, you say uh, Louis, right? You don't say Lewis. That's from Alabama. Anyways, so this is the late 1940s, but here's, here's kind of the, the, the spiritual atmosphere, pretty much that, that the whole island that's there off the northwest uh, coast of, of the mainland of Scotland, that they were absolutely in spiritual darkness, that there was no one getting converted. And uh, it, it, one of the things that really marked kind of where they were at, they talked about the youth that were really rebellious and just really caught up in sin, that they were absolutely, uh, like God wasn't, even, God wasn't even on their mind. Sound, sounds familiar, doesn't it? So, so they actually said this, and I think this is real telling, that, that not only were there no young people attending the church, but in fact, uh, the, the young people likened becoming a Christian to catching the plague. That's how disinterested they were in God. Don't miss that, okay? So here's what the church leaders did in response to everything that they were saying. It, it says that they issued a proclamation. In other words, they put in the newspaper uh, that they were calling all of the Lewis Christian community to do two things. And I think it's good. Once again, we're going to pull nuggets from this today. They asked them to do two things, to examine their spiritual condition, and they asked them to begin to petition or begin to pray for God to send repentance before it was too late. Are you all following me? So history tells us that most people in that region ignored the call. In other words, they read the newspaper and they just went on with it. Once again, doesn't sound too familiar to our day. But there was two sisters named Peggy and Christine who took it to heart. And it says, basically the story says, even though that the Smith sisters were in their 80s and too infirm to even go to church because Peggy was blind and Christine was crippled by arthritis, that even in the midst of all their uh, weaknesses, I'll say it that way, that they still knew the living God. 
because that's what matters most, right? That they knew the living God, and so what they did is they took it to heart, they volunteered, and they began to intercede in, in basically in a devoted prayer for their island. Now watch this. In their little cottage, once again, they couldn't go to church, but in their little cottage, week after week, they did this. From 10 o'clock at night till 3 o'clock in the morning, these guys interceded for their community. So basically two days a week, 10 o'clock at night to 3 o'clock in the morning, they prayed. And if I can use a, uh, the term just in the context of where we're going, they drew their circle. So watch this. In one of those prayer times, the blind gal, Peggy, had a vision. God showed her this. God showed her her father's chapel because her father was a pastor overflowing with young people. Remember, there was no young people in the church. And, and basically, uh, God showed her a preacher who she didn't know behind the pulpit. And that preacher, his name was Duncan Campbell. And, and Duncan Campbell was a 51-year-old minister who basically had a, had a humility all over him. And he had a passion for souls. Pretty simple. But watch this. We'll get to him in a second. Uh, Peggy had this vision, and she went to a local pastor in the area that she knew. And she said, basically, God gave me this vision. Here's what I saw. And, and, the, and the pastor's response was simply this. What am I supposed to do with that? He didn't know what to do. So Peggy stepped up to the plate. She said, you need to call the elders and the deacons, and you need to begin to pray. So basically she said, my sister and I, we do this two days a week, and here's how we do it. So they just followed suit, and they started doing that. They got in a barn, and they started praying uh, once again from 10 at night to 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And so here's what I want you to see, though. These guys did this twice a week for three months, and in the midst of what they began to pray, uh, they began to pray a promise from the Word of God. And when I read this, I went, now I know why I'm sharing this story. Here's the verse that they began to pray. It comes from Isaiah 58, chapter 11. God said this. God said, it's his promise to them. He said, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Are y'all hearing that? It's a holy moment, right? Once again, I will pour water on him that is thirsty. Are we thirsty today? Listen, in floods upon the dry ground, because we definitely live in a dry place. So watch this. One of the nights, keep fast forward, that was the promise that they grabbed a hold of. But one of their nights in the prayer, uh, in prayer, a young deacon read this Bible verse from Psalms 24. I love this verse. It says, who shall ascend the hill of God? Get the picture. There's all these pastors and deacons and, and elders praying, and he stands up and he reads this verse, and it says this. It says, who shall ascend the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that has, hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. He closed his Bible, then he said these words to every person in the room. He said, it seems to me just so humbug to be waiting as we are waiting, praying as we are praying, if we ourselves are not right before God. It says, then he lifted his two hands and he cried out, Oh God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And story tells us that in that moment there was a power that was loose that shook the heavens. And guess what? It says that basically that there became a strange awareness of God in the region. And it didn't just grip that meeting. It literally gripped the entire community. It's prayers that change history, guys. And, and if I can maybe say this, a lesson to pull from this spot before we move on, is that it appears to me that intercession and repentance always precede revival. Do you get that? 
that intercession and repentance always precede revival because God's looking for clean hearts, right, and clean hands. Let's fast forward in the story. Watch this. It says that they sent for the minister in the vision, Duncan Campbell. In other words, they located him. They found him. They sent for him and asked him to come for 10 days. That's all they asked, 10 days. And during that 10 days, Duncan Campbell stood in front of a church. He was in a Presbyterian church, and he was preaching his heart out. And the story says that he was getting absolutely nowhere. And it says that the congregation was quite content in their stiff, cold, and dead religious routines And it was then that he noticed that there was a young man named Donald. And Donald was basically sitting on the front row, weeping quietly. And he had only been saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit for a short period of time. But but as he sat there praying, uh, he was crying that there was actually a pool of tears around his farm boots. And what Campbell noticed, and thank God for a humble man, that he recognized at that moment that that younger man was closer to God than he was. And so he quit preaching, and he simply said, Donald, do you mind standing and praying? And here's what the story says. It says that the young man got no more than three sentences out of his mouth when the power of God fell upon the church. It says those formal Scottish Presbyterian churchgoers began to cry out to God for mercy. Half of them stood with arms outstretched to heaven, transfixed in the glory for two hours. The other half slumped to the floor on the Lord, basically calling on the Lord in repentance. At the same time, watch this, the Spirit of God swept through a village seven miles away, and practically every household in the village had someone saved that night. So during, once again, if you, if you ever studied revival, that you know that basically we're talking about the Hebrides revival. But, but during the Hebrides revival, uh, God came in such a powerful way that, that sinners, uh, I'll use their words, fled from sin and cried out for mercy of God at all hours of the day. And basically people were getting saved. I love this part because it resonates with our region. But, but people were getting saved on their fishing boats. They were getting saved in their fields. People who were laying asleep in their bed at night would literally uh, be, uh, they would wake up because they were so convicted that they would get on their knees and cry out to God for mercy. The story says that weavers uh, were struck down in trances, basically, and then they got born again at their looms. Uh, we know that taverns or bars closed. And what the key part is this, it ain't closed for a short season. They closed and they never opened again. That's awesome right? Jails were unused because there was no crime. And uh, in fact, let me, let me piggyback here. Let me tell you one story. Um, there's one story about a young man who was basically struck with conviction beside a pig pen. And he fell on his knees, got born again, and he laid there so long that he didn't come home. And so they sent a search party out to find him. And when the search party found him, they found him face down in the dirt, repeating over and over again, oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. Pretty good moment, yeah? But here's, here's one of the things to me that's so amazing about the Heavenly's Revival. And this, boy, you will know my heart. Here we go. Is that 75% of the people during the revival were born again outside of the church building. Before they ever heard a single word from a preacher, they got born again. Once again, it goes back to the strange awareness of God in the region that, that, God, that God gripped their hearts. And I love it because it says that the preachers generally didn't need to lead them to an altar call for salvation. Instead, they left them to God, believing that he was the best person to reap their soul. So here's the thing. This didn't happen for 10 days as Duncan Campbell was invited. This actually went on for three years. 
And what's so neat is how the church and how ministers responded is they clearly just opened their, opened their doors because people were so hungry, and they had services every day, 7 p.m., 10 p.m., midnight, and 3 a.m. And the wild part is, is they had more people outside praying in the fields than inside because they couldn't fit everybody in there. Not too shabby, huh? So two other things mark this revival is, and I think this is key, and I hope if you hear anything today, hear this, is that more people intended the, attended the prayer meetings than the normal church services. But it's so opposite of today, isn't it? That more people attended the prayer meetings than the normal church service. That's why God can sweep through a nation. Second thing was this. No, let me say that. Is because, and I'll say it maybe again in a second. If people come and they attend prayer meetings, it's because this is, I think the difference between folks who go to a prayer meeting and folks who just go to church, if I can be so bold to say this, is, is the people who go to the prayer meeting, it's because they've learned to get their eyes off themselves. And the people who always just want to go to church and never want to go to prayer meetings because sometimes they're so needy and they just want something for their needs in their moment. Is that too strong? Do you understand what I'm saying? Second cool thing that happened, I think that marked this revival, is that a lot of young people were called into the ministry. They became pastors. Once again, these people that, remember, it was, it was becoming a Christian was like the plague. So th- these guys either became pastors of churches, or they became uh, missionaries that went to the foreign mission field, literally by the hundreds. It's pretty awesome, right? And, and I'm going to say this. I wasn't planning on saying it. You've heard me say this story before, but it goes with the context of what we're saying here. Is that one night, um, there was another meeting that Duncan Campbell was preaching. Is actually when he first got there. And, and the meeting was okay, but he went to go release the people to go home. And uh, there was a 17-year-old boy that, that caught hold of the fire of God. And that 17-year-old young man, basically, people started leaving the building. He got on his knees in the middle aisle of that little church. And he lifted his hands to heaven. And he said, God, this is not the rain that you promised to send. And when that moment happened, you, and I've told you this story before, but as he prayed, there was 100 young people that were in a dance in the local, I think it was Barva. I think that was the name of the town, Barva, Sparva. And uh, as he lifted his hands and he cried out to God, the power of God fell in that dance. And the story says that those hundred kids ran from the uh, school as one running from a plague, and they made their way to the church. Last thing I'll say here with this. Not forever, just today. I'm playing <laughs> Last thing about the revival. It was said this, get this, in the context of here. It says, a place which was as hard as the rocks and as barren as the wilderness has been transformed by the power of God into the garden of the Lord. I'll say that again. A place which was as hard as the rocks and as barren as the wilderness has been transformed by the power of God into a garden of the Lord. Pretty simple. It's because a few believers decided to make a circle. That's it. The, the truth is, is, is most great moves of God rarely start with many. Most of the time it starts with few. True? 
every revival. And, and it's kind of like this, if you can get this. Fat Rick Joyner said this. said, one person who sees and walks in the truth is more powerful than an army who will compromise the truth. And, and, and if I could add a word there, and this is just really my heart, is one person who sees and walks in holiness is more powerful than an army who will compromise in holiness. Because I think, once again, if we want to see a move of God, then we got to purify our hearts, and we got to purify our homes, and we got to purify our marriages, we got to purify our relationships, we got to purify the way we speak, purify the way we live. Because there's something so key about all of this to me. It's, it's we can trust God all day long, but at the end of the day, we got to ask ourselves, does God trust me? That's a question I ask myself a lot. Does God, God, can you trust me? Can you trust me? If something like this happened, God, could you trust me that I wouldn't uh, get all love and get arrogant and prideful with it? Could I still give you the glory? Yeah? Let me give you one last thing, and then Brother Jerry's going to come. Let me say, I'll bring context to a statement I said earlier. So basically, the first one is sometimes we're thrusted into it. Second one is that we are, basically, we volunteer, we full of summons by God. And the third thing, that third reason why we have holy moments sometimes is simply because of this, is because there's something we want. Is that fair enough to say that there's a deep desire in our hearts, we want it, and so we begin to cry out for it. And, and for that, if you need an address, and I'm just going to mention a few things here, but you can go to 1 Samuel chapter 1, read chapter 1, chapter 3, but... Real fast version is this, is there was a man that lived there, and he had two wives. One of his wives was named Penny. It's not a real name, but it's one I'm giving her. And uh, it's easier for an Alabama guy to say. And so, anyway, so Penny and Hannah. And, and pretty much uh, the husband, Elkanah, am I saying that right? Elkanah, am I saying it right? Accountant, that's, that's more Hebrew. This is more Southern. There you go. So that's good. So trust Brother Jerry. So Southern Hebrew right there. I'm from, I'm from the lower parts of Israel. So... Anyways, so, so this fella, so he had two wives, and he had several kids with, with Penny. And he had no kids with Hannah because Hannah was barren. And it was believed that basically when a woman was barren that there, she was cursed. And so Penny, uh, basically year after year when they would go to, uh, to Shiloh and they would uh, make sacrifice and they would worship, year after year she would basically rub it in Hannah's face that she had kids. It didn't, it didn't matter that the fact that basically when it came time for offering that, that her husband gave her and her kids some and that she gave Hannah double, but it's just the fact she rubbed it in. I love what the New Living Translation says. It says that she basically provoked her to tears. And it finally, you know, this didn't happen once. If you actually read the story, it happened year in and year out that she was distressed and bitterness of soul. And she finally said, enough is enough. She drew her circle and she went into the temple. She didn't eat. She fasted and she went and she prayed and she began to ask God, God, pretty much, if you will give me a male son, I will give him back to you. And here's what's so wild about this. Hannah means grace and it means favor. And I think there's sometimes in life we say this, God, where's your grace and where's your favor in my life? Have y'all ever been there? I've been there going, God, this is going on. Where's your favor at? Where's your grace at? Maybe that's just me. But there's definitely been times I'm going, God, where in the world are you at? And so once again, she finally says, enough is enough. And she goes and she prays. And we know that she is in such intercession. And obviously, there's, it's a moment where she's not acting like the normal person. Because the truth is, is when you draw a circle, you don't act like the normal person. It's not a pretty prayer. It's not a religious prayer. It's a heartfelt prayer. And so she had her circle. She's crying at the altar. And, and we know that she was basically, her mouth was moving, but there was no words coming out because she was praying in her heart. And Eli, who we know was not a good priest, came 
came over and basically rebuked her and said that she was drunk. She needs to put away her wine and her beer. And, and what happened was is that uh, she said, no, my Lord, I'm not a wicked woman. I'm praying for this. And he basically said, look, God will grant it. And she grabbed a hold of her promise. Because, listen, when we go through things, we need to find, we need to locate a scripture and hold on to that thing, hold on to that promise, right? Uh, we, we don't sink our anchor into, uh, you know, emotions and wishful feelings. We sink it into the word of God. Amen. So she grabbed a hold of a word. And, and here's what I love. Everybody listen to this. It says that she went home and obviously that her husband knew her. They had sex. They were intimate. But it says this key thing. It says that in the process of time. I love that. It, wasn't, it was the process of time. Guess what happened? That the Lord heard her prayer and gave her a child. We know the child was Samuel. And, and then what happened was that she named him obviously Samuel because it means that, that she asked of the Lord and the Lord heard. Okay, now watch this. Let me fast forward the story. And there is a reason I'm telling you this. Because I think so often in the church, and I'm not saying that there's, there's anything wrong with having Hannah moments. But I'm saying that I think we need to move from, from being a Hannah all the time. And we need to slide over. We need to learn how to have a Samuel moment. And here's what I mean by this, okay? Are you guys following me? So we know that fast forward, here's Samuel. And I love this thing. If you're a parent in here, grab a hold of this, please. It says that Samuel, because we know that she took him to the temple after he was weaned. He was raised in the temple. And it actually says this, that he was raised in the presence of God. That, as a parent, that should be our goal for our children, that they would be raised in the presence of God. And parents, I'm here to tell you, your kids will not be raised in the, parent, in the presence of God unless you're in the presence of God. Amen. Please, you know, your kids should know the presence of God. Amen. So fast forward. Here's, here's Samuel, little boy, sleeping one night. And as he's sleeping, he hears uh, Samuel. And he wakes up. What he does, he runs to Eli. And he says, Eli, surely you called me. He said, I didn't call you. Go back. Go back to sleep. Samuel, same thing, came back. Third time, same thing. But on the third time, Eli said this. He said, hey, I, I think the Lord's trying to call you. And and I think that the next time, if you hear it, you need to say, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. And we know that he goes back, and, and that's what happens. Samuel, Samuel, and even gives an exclamation mark there. So it means it's probably pretty loud. And the Lord was saying, enough's enough. And so anyway, so he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I think that's where we need to get to. Are you with me? That it's not always us asking, but we need to start hearing. Right? That we need to, it's good to have, it's good to have Hannah moments, but we need to have some Samuel moments where we begin to ask this, and this is why I said all that, because we begin to say, Lord, what's your burden for this area? What's your burden for our family? Am I making sense to you? And, and so, and so there comes a time that basically we need to sit back and, and today, once again, I hope this occurs to you that you're hearing what happened. Uh, yes, in our family, yes, in, in, in Scotland, uh, you, you know, and yes, with Hannah. But there's this thing that, man, when we begin to pray, this is the confidence, that we begin to pray the word of God, guess what? That God supernaturally will begin to move when we finally say enough is enough and we dig our heels and say, God, we got to have you. There's a desperation that's there. But once again, it's this, and maybe this is my, my beef with some charismatic movements and charismatic churches, if I could be honest with you, is, is God comes and they have a party. And then they come back next week so God can come and have a party. God, and I'm all, I, man, I love the presence of God. But, but, but God doesn't come without marching orders on most occasions. So a lot of times when he comes, he's given us direction of what we need to do. So listen, as a church, my heart is this, is that we would be presence-driven, 
right? That we would value the presence of God, but that we wouldn't just sit there and camp there. But we'd go, Lord, how do we go take the land? Am I making sense to you guys? You, you know, I was talking to Brother Jerry the other day on the, on the rock beach. And, uh, and so, it, you know, I said, this, man, there's a verse that, that uh, has grabbed my heart for years. And it's this, where it says that Abraham was only one man, yet he possessed the land. But we are many. Surely the Lord has given us the land as our possession. Yeah, so, so what I'm, basically what I'm asking all of us today is simply this, is that we would begin to lift our eyes off of our own issues and off our own needs, and we begin to look at the horizon and go, God, where do you want to move? Simple enough? Let me pass this day before I talk too long. Let's give a hand, huh? That was incredible. Thank you, Lord. Absolutely beautiful. I have loved being here this week, perhaps more than any of the 40 years that I've been coming to Maine. The weather has been not that great, okay? The company's been good. I've loved being with my friends and their children and grandchildren and so on. But coming here for a man who has prayed and cried out to God, this has been a breath of God's life to me personally. And everyone who's in this room should appreciate that these seasons are not here all the time. Hear what I'm saying. Times of refreshing, it says in the book of Acts, repent and turn to the Lord. And times of refreshing will come to you from the presence of the Lord. How many of you feel a refreshing in your life at the presence of the Lord? What God is. I want to raise your hand, seriously, if you're really in on that. If you're really in on that. Okay. Hallelujah. And we have the presence of the Lord here, and it is a refreshing. Now, that refreshing then is supposed to produce something in us. Now, the word repentance, when we think of repentance, we think, oh God, I'm such a dirty sinner. Oh God, please come and do something with this mess. That is not the meaning of repentance. Repentance is a word metanoia in the scripture. And it means to change your mind. And in changing your mind, you change your direction. Okay? It's a, it doesn't have to even be emotional. It's a decision of the will of the heart that says, I've been going one way, but hey, there's a better road in front of me. I'm going to take that. My favorite poem is by Robert Frost, one of the great New England poets. It said, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And which I should take, I did not know. One seemed just as fair as the other. But I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all of the difference. And I know that in my own life, I've taken a road less traveled. I've taken the hidden place. You know, I was offered platforms in my life at different times. I was offered things. I took the hidden place. I took the place of fasting. I took the place of prayer. I took the place of getting under another generation. And it has made all the difference for me personally. I can't say for you, but I can say for me. And coming here and getting under this generation, this, this man and this woman, they're the age of my children, you know, my youngest children. And to come and to get under them and be beside them and to love them and to encourage them, this is the great joy of my life. I want to give you a verse uh, in my Bible here in the book of Hosea, chapter 10. In verse 13, in verse 12, it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, 
if you will, you will reap in mercy. Say mercy. Mercy means that when you've screwed it up, when your nation has screwed it up, when the whole world has screwed it up, mercy means that God comes with something that changes your destiny. How many of you have lost children? Children that are not walking with God today. Brothers and sisters not walking with God. I have a brother that came to the Lord as a freshman in college, and today he calls himself the last heathen in the family. And he will not bow the knee, but guess what? God is coming. God is coming. Because everyone around him is saved and praying. God is coming. My mother-in-law, 42 years we prayed. Two weeks before she died, she said, all my family are Christians. I should be a Christian. And we brought in a brother. She prayed, received the Lord. And two weeks later, heart failure, gone. As soon as I come through the veil into heaven, she will be hugging my neck and saying, you were right. <laughs> Hallelujah. You see, we can have a move of God. We can have a changed nation. This region can be transformed by the glory of God. I stay every year in Bayside, just below Belfast. Bayside was built as a Methodist camp for camp meetings in the 1800s. And as many as 10,000 people came to meetings there from all up and down the coast and out of the woods in the cities. The cabins in that place are named Unity and Union and so forth, named after cities where there were Methodist churches and they built cottages so their people had a place to stay when they came to camp meeting. And they would, by lantern light, five and six preachers at a time would be preaching the revival. Now that revival is dead and gone and almost all the people in that community are not saved. And some of them are pretty nasty old people, if I can just say it plainly, okay? And they think they own the land. Guess what? The land was dedicated to God. The land still belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Amen? So this verse says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord. This is a rhema word for us right now. It's time for us to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. Do you believe that? That's the word of the Lord that's coming forth right now, these two weeks. It's about giving yourselves to prayer and praise. Now, I shared something last week. I shared out of Isaiah 56, where it says, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Prayer is not supposed to be grunting like you're constipated and and all of life is miserable at that moment. Prayer is supposed to be fun. It's a relationship with a heavenly father. Now, in it, you may cry and shake and weep and repent. But there's such a deep underlying stream of joy in your soul that you can't wait to be in the place of prayer. When I walked in this room this morning, just before 9 o'clock, there were a dozen people or more in this room. And the room was electric with the presence of God. See, people paid a price that when you came in at 10 o'clock this morning... There was a holy presence of God and there was an unction on this worship team and an unction on this pastor that makes your day and your week go a whole lot better. And the Lord is saying, come join me. Come be on the team. There ought to be a hundred in this room at 9 or 9.30, you know. A hundred people seeking the Lord, oiling yourself up. We have a prayer room before our service now that 75 people come into the room and they're not just walking around praying. They are jumping. They are shouting. Sometimes we literally lift a holy roar. We go, ah! before the Lord. 
and release everything that is in us before God. You know what that does? That breaks up all of that religious tradition that's inside of you. All that has become encased and encrusted like a lobster shell all around you. Have you ever noticed the lobsters? The lobsters live in the turbid waters along the shore where it's kind of murky. And they don't see very well. They have these long feelers that reach out and feel everything around them. And they have these big defensive posture about them. That's, uh, to me, that's a religious person. But you know what? When you feel the move of God, when your feelers reach out in the darkness and the murkiness of life, and you feel the move of God, you know what? They go toward it. They think there's something there to eat. They go toward it, don't they? And that is what God is saying to us right now. It's time. It's time. Break up your fallow ground. Seek the Lord right now. Call on the Lord. He talked about these young people in this move of God. Before my son was born, my son Adam, who is our senior pastor now, he was in the womb, in his mother's womb, and the Lord came to me in the night and gave me a vision. And I saw a man standing before the Lord. He looked like John the Baptist. Standing before the Lord, and he had a rod in his hand. And he held the rod up to heaven, and lightning from heaven struck the rod and lit up the earth all around that man. The Lord said, your son will be a prophet, and he will be a worship leader in the move of God. You are to name him specifically Adam Christopher Cates. Adam means man, and Christopher means a Christ bearer. And he will be a man who will take Christ into the nations of the earth. And, he will, and one day, he will be leading worship, and you will be preaching and prophesying, and you will be together in the move of God. Now, I didn't understand that lightning and that rod at the time, but it's a verse in the Bible that talks about something we call the breaker anointing. When that anointing hits the room, Jen carries that breaker anointing. This man carries that breaker anointing. She carries it in worship. He carries it in preaching. There are different ones here who can appreciate that, who have known when the breaker anointing came upon your life. And, but he carries that breaker anointing, and a room moves and shakes when he leads worship in God. He can sing the oldest hymn. Sometimes he sings Elvis Presley. Wise men say, only fools rush in, but I can't help falling in love with you. That's a great hymn, isn't it? That's a fun hymn. It's supposed to be fun in the house of God. He'll just lead us off in these things. Sometimes he does Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And he, but he takes us to the glory of God. See, we were singing that song this morning with the bullseye around it. What was the word of that song about God, the Father or something? And she starts prophetically, call upon the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Believe those words right now. And we were mixing prayer and praise together. And we were having fun. But we were breaking open the heavens above us by what we were doing. This is what God wants us to do right now. I brought this book today. I read this book on the beach this week. It's the only book I read besides my Bible. Uh, And it's by Chris Tomlin, a very famous worship leader and his pastor. It's called The Holy Roar. And it's about the seven Hebrew words for praise. Did you know that praise in the Hebrew language is a very active thing? In America, we go to church and we have a religious lobster shell around us that says, don't get too excited. 
Okay. I'm already being 10 times more excited than you. Okay. Don't, don't get too excited. Do not lift that hand. Chris Tomlin told the story that in the first church he was a part of, a woman lifted one hand to the Lord and a deacon came over and told her, we don't do that in this church. So before he broke into, uh, excuse me, Pastor Whitehead said that. Before he broke into the new move of God, that's the way religion was killing the move of God. How many of you have had religious training in your life? Be honest. Raise your hand. You've had religious training. And doesn't it create a box? A guy named J.B. Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. Religion makes God small. It's relationship that makes God big in your eyes. And in the house of the presence of the Lord and of the word of the Lord, see, is this relationship. And it makes you glad, not sad. Even repentance, metanoia, turning from your sin, turning to God, doesn't have to be misery. It can be a choice that says, I've been doing that and it don't work so well. I'm going to try doing this that the word teaches. What my pastor's been saying, I'm going to do it. You know what? I can set aside an hour a week and I can come to a prayer meeting. I live by a 7-Eleven and guess what? I'm going home to start 7-Eleven meetings. And we're going to, on a Friday night or a Saturday night, we're going to do 7 till 11 in my house. And we're going to raise a ruckus. And we are going to pray before the Lord and believe God for a greater move of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go home and take prayer meetings that I do Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday morning. And I'm going to add Monday and Friday to the schedule. And I'm going to have a team of people that I've raised up. And different people will take different days and lead the way. And we are going to increase the move of prayer because it precedes the move of God. Two things precede the move of God, right? They are prayer, and the second is praise. So we brought the book The Circle Maker last week and this week about the prayer. And then this holy roar is about increasing the praise. And this is what God's about to do in this house. You're about to come under training. Training. There's a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is communicating the information. Training is the practical application of what you've been taught. Does that make sense to anybody? Anybody ever been in a job where you you sat in class and you had the teaching? Nursing school. Sit and receive information after information. Now when you go on the ward, it's a whole different ballgame because now you are what? You're training. Anybody here have to train for a job in your life? Had to work hard at the move of God? God is... God's going to have people just lead you forward into this thing or that. What I'm asking you to do today is to cooperate. Just give it a try. My son was 15 years old with this beautiful pre-birth call of God and naming by God in his life. And he quietly said, God, I want my life till I'm 25, maybe even 30. I want my life and then I'll come to you and I'll serve you. He knew the call of God was on his life. But he had a Samson moment. The Lord just said, okay. And he came and started waking me up at 2 o'clock every night. And I woke up and I went and I curled up in the corner of my room in a fetal position. And I began to cry out to the Lord for my son. Six weeks. Then the Lord gave me a vision. I saw a hand reach out of heaven with a stick and it drew a line in the sand. And I said, what is this, Lord? He said, this is the bloodline 
He says, you died. You were buried with Christ in the waters of baptism. And you were raised in newness of life. And you, the devil no longer has the right to come. You're no longer of the Cates lineage. You are now of the Christ lineage. And the devil does not have the right to come and cross that line and take your future generations. I said, okay, God, I agree in the name of Jesus. Two weeks later, his mother hears about something called uh, uh, Acquire the Fire. Uh, some guy named Ron Luce. They go to the meeting. She takes the youth group there. The youth group's making out in the back of the van while she's taking them to the meeting. These are a bunch of carnal kids. The first night they do, I want the cross. They turn out all the lights in a room with a thousand kids, turn one light on a cross, and someone stood up and said, who wants the cross? My boy leaped out of his chair and was the first one down to that cross because God heard the cries of his father and the obedience of his mother. You hear what I'm saying? He came home from all of that, and a year later, he comes into his little band. He had this little band that did all kinds of music. He's a beautiful songwriter and singer, and, and he lays down his guitar and says, well, that's it, guys, I'm done. They said, well, what do you mean? He said, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore. He came home to live with us from his little apartment, and it's like he went into a cocoon. And I would hear him in his room, plinking on his guitar. I would hear him weeping. I would hear him walking on the golf course that we lived on, singing. And after six weeks, he came out of that cocoon. And he had metamorphosed into the beautiful worship leader that he is today. And he led the worship of God in the first youth revival I had in 1997. And from that time on, we've had several moves of God. God wants your kids. How many of you here are above the age of 50? Come, Mary. Who, who here? God, God has a word for you. Read Ezra chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, when they laid the foundations of the new temple of God. And it just says this. It says, the people were rejoicing before the Lord. But some of the old men who had seen the first temple began to weep and cry before the Lord. They weren't crying because the new temple was smaller and less. They were crying because they couldn't believe they had lived to see the new day. That they had lived through the 70 years of the captivity and come back to the land. These are people in their 80s, late 70s and 80s. And they're weeping and crying out that God had brought them back to see the new day. You are right now living in the new day of God. You're living right now at the laying of the foundations of the temple of God for the new move of God. And if you will give yourselves all that you've learned, they build aircraft carriers where I am, and it's the old men who have retired that they keep calling back because they have skills that the young people haven't learned, and they can't build the carriers without those skills. You have things in you. You have chutzpah. You have staying power. You can get in the saddle. You can pray. You can believe over a generation. And God will give you a whole new life cycle. We've heard so much today about repentance. And there's been so many concepts and so many moves of God. But I just felt like the Lord laid on my heart to share with you guys that you all are a sign and a wonder. I want to go back to something that Jerry talked about. And we certainly take no 
major credit for this. We were just a tiny, tiny little part. And God has not called us to live in this region, but we have a passion and a love for New England, and especially this region here. So we have, over the years, prayed for a move of God here. And over the years, we have seen little things start, and they just kind of fizzled out, and uh, pride and disunity and arrogance, a lack of humility killed all these little flames that the Holy Spirit started But you guys are a sign and a wonder. You all are what we have been praying for for years. And you're just the first offering. You know, Jerry's already been sharing with me how he sees all these different church plants coming into the region, even from this group. So while we're repenting, while we're doing all of these things and we're studying the move of God, just know that you all are are a sign and a wonder, and that the Lord is so pleased with what is happening here. Um, I, I was here for the first time last summer, twice this summer. The presence of God that's flowing here is not happening very many places in this region, and you are breaking up the follow ground, and you are going to be receiving your marching orders, your destiny, your purpose for this hour, for what God wants to do in this region. But I just wanted to share with you guys how much we love you, how much we will continue to pray for this work because you will be under attack because this is something that the Holy Spirit is doing. So know that you are a sign and a wonder. Keep repenting, yes, but just love what God is doing here. Brother Quentin, thank you. So let me have, uh, let me say one thing and then I'm going to ask him to pray. I would just say this, don't let the darkness in our region disappoint or discourage you. And the, the reason I say that is because light shines a whole lot brighter when it's really dark. See, where, where I'm from, the good old Bible Belt, everybody thinks they're good with God, and it stops the move of God because everybody thinks they're great with Him already. Here, the, the, the line in the sand is already drawn. You're either with Him or you're against Him, and it, it's a really clear line. And I think that works in our favor for when God begins to do what He wants to do. Make sense? So I'm going to ask you to simply pray for us, and, uh, and I'm going to ask you particularly, we were going to do it last week, and things kind of changed, but to pray that the spirit of intercession would come upon the house, just an impartation for that. I wonder if we could all stand and stretch our hands toward the Father. Okay, number one, that's an act of surrender right there, surrendering to the Lord. How many would be willing to say, Lord, I will pray? I will believe. I will take my place. In Jesus' name. And Father, we just pray the blessing right now. We call for the Spirit of God to fall upon your house in intercession before the Lord. God, we ask you, Lord, that you would increase the intercession. You would put on people's hearts to be here early. That they would come to the special meetings that are going to be called God, that they would say, I am yielded vessel to the Lord. I will believe for the move of God. It will be for my house and for every other house around me. I will believe, God, in the name of Jesus. And who will say yes and amen to that? Yes Yes and amen. Hallelujah. So, Father, bless the house. Bless the day. Well, bless this family, Father. Bless these families, God.
mighty hand of God. We release you. We release you, Holy Spirit. We release your blessing. We release the angels that were here today. We release the messengers of God. We declare, God, you are moving, Lord. And I think that just like when they laid the foundation of the temple, we should raise a holy roar, a shout to the Lord. So let's go. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Amen. Give the Lord a clap. Amen. Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.